This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their safe spaces, their bubbles around the world. I am at Otago Polytechnic in North Dunedin today, and I am with Maggie Jean Malcolm. Kia Maggie Jean. Kia Sam. How was your bubble life? My bubble life was interesting. I'd moved my life from Dunedin to New Plymouth to be nearer the granddaughter, and I'd spent a couple of months house hunting, and lo and behold, my settlement date of the house that I'd bought was two days before we... Well, it was the day, actually, we were that lockdown was announced, and luckily the goods... Um, my, all my furniture was delivered the next day in a slight panic from the movers, I must admit, and the new fridge and washing machine. And, th- and yeah, I'd thought that I was staying with a friend and we'd thought that we would just I would just gradually set my house up because it couldn't be painted and carpeted and things. I couldn't get everything out of the garage, you know, really until um, that was done. But she found out at four o'clock on the day of lockdown that she had to work from home, not from the civil defence headquarters thought she was going to be in. So we made a quick decision that said, bye, I'm moving in. (laughs) (laughs) And we stayed actually as a bubble, just the two of us um, who were living on on our own. We'd have dinner together about once a week. But I just was busier than ever actually with my work because it was all working in that online learning space and people had to all pivot, whether they were polytech students or whether they were... Inspiring Communities, the other organisation I work with, uh, all of a sudden they had to learn to um, actually deliver, you know, an international conference week of workshops and 25 regional workshops across the country. They had to rethink how to keep being a support to people doing career development in a um, different environment. So, um, and the granddaughter and I had to wait another three or four weeks till we could actually enjoy the fact that I now lived around the corner because we couldn't be in the same bubble for various reasons. So, yeah, it was an interesting experience, but I was very connected because I do remember celebrating my birthday online as well and getting all sorts of members of the family from all across the world together on Zoom. But, yeah, a lot of pivoting, but I'm used to I'm used to living life in a very adaptive way in a lot of complex spaces. So, um I think I had a head start on life experience to how to work in. I always said that I work more in a space of possibility plan, possibility maps rather than plans. So I think that sort of mindset probably helped me just adapt and get on with it and feel very privileged that I had work, I wasn't losing a job, I had food um, and just know that a lot of other people were a lot harder. There's so much there to unpack. Let's start with your granddaughter. How old is she? She's just turned five. She's just been four weeks ago she started school. So old enough to understand what was going on? Yeah, yeah. She knew about the virus, you know. <laughs> she was a, And actually they took in two Japanese, their family took two Japanese woofers because her mum's Japanese and these two Japanese woofers had just finished their working visa and were about to start travel around New Zealand and where to go. So, and... My son and daughter-in-law had spent a year woofing around New Zealand and knew about woofing and said, I'll come and stay, help help keep the granddaughter happy and, <laughs> and help us do some projects on our somewhat large piece of land that they do a lot of um, food growing and renovating houses. and so. so on that day that I was arguing at the time we should make it as a public holiday, National Hugs Day, <laughs> you all got back together on the, the day we were allowed to go and... Hug family. Oh, absolutely. When we went to level three. Yeah, yeah. No, it was very joyous. And not long after that, um, 
the granddaughter realised that she knew the way between our two houses. So in level three, the woofers was all there and it was when she packed her bag and, and actually just got her raincoat out and set off for Nana's and sang, <laughs> I'm going off to visit Nana. And, and, and mum had to say, actually, I think Nana's working. And B, you, you might know the way, but you're not quite old enough as a four-year-old to actually walk all the way. But it is rather good around the around the corner and those connections with family and friends that i think we've done a lot more of during lockdown and and beyond those those sort of zoom calls the um leslie's family is is doing a gin o'clock on a on a saturday those sorts of things have brought people together yeah, and I don't necessarily do the big one like I did for my birthday, but I I probably Zoom my cousins overseas that I'm very close with. I mean, one of my closest cousins is in London, and they've done hard. Their kids' families had COVID. They've had a grandchild whose other grandmother hasn't been able, you know, so we keep in touch. But we do so on Zoom more than just email. And yeah. My aunt had a stroke about this time last year. Mm. The family still hasn't seen her. It's just That's just bizarre. Yeah. Well, I haven't been able to see my daughter, Sydney. Mm. Um, they've moved into a... Yeah, we're due for a Zoom call this weekend <laughs> about the the, um, the bubble being expanded to Australia, which is amazing. But I'm very grateful that we didn't have any traumatic um, family experiences. We wouldn't actually see each other to that extent. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Leonard Cohen anthem. Why this one? Oh, well, the byline on my um, email for a long time was forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. I just love Leonard Cohen, but I particularly love that line. But actually, we often know that line, but not the words of the whole song. So I think it's actually, there's a lot in that song which starts about the birds they sang. So we heard the birds singing (laughs) in lockdown, you know, a whole lot more too. So yeah, just enjoy the words and and the messages, whatever you take from it. They sang at the break of day. Start again. I heard them say, Don't dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be. Let's still the rain 
sehen. that we don't have to be perfect especially when we're surviving a pandemic that we might be trying to work from home but also just just surviving is is a worthwhile yeah. thing and yeah maybe this needs to be some sort of humility with what we're working on or, or trying to achieve well i think that's a lifelong message i mean it, it, the message isn't much on my byline to remind me but it was interesting the number of conversations that that evokes with people so i think we all have issues and perfectionism times are more deeply ingrained in some of us than others. But I think COVID did remind us that, you know, everybody actually had to muck in and do good enough. And um, I think the other part of it is, you know, when there are cracks, um, you know, when there's disruption, when things change, there is a new light that comes in as well. So I think I'm an optimistic personality that that, embo- that line embodies so much and it was used a lot in Christchurch after the youth. So I think there's an awful lot of new light come to um, neighbourhood communities, to to systems change, actually, when you think about the level at which some things have been disrupted and actually shifted because of um, COVID and what we had to rally around and realise about our interconnectedness. Yes, it actually, you know, there's a the book The Spirit Level that came out years ago about how inequality is bad for all of us and you know, how having equality is good for all of us and how interconnected um, all those things are. It was sort of like a lived experience that it actually matters no matter who my neighbour is, if they get COVID, you know, that, that affects me and everybody collectively. So that to me was one of the lights that, that went off for some, obviously not for all. I liked what mm. the Secretary of Education said early on in the the lockdown when they were talking about the difficult the challenges schools were facing in mm. getting laptops out to, to all the kids and you know is this fair was the, the line the journalists were taking and, and she said that the a, a pandemic doesn't create inequities it just reveals them yeah yeah and so I think that's the painful side of, of COVID was just how incredibly 
much clearer the haves and the haves are and to, you know, see who are our essential workers, you know, will elevate their mana, please, in terms of how much, much we need. Um, those people, but also I guess at a community level response. You saw, um, yes, the people rallying around and making sure that even I remember our local for donations of before government got in, who had who had an old I had an old surface, but it was still in my luggage. I didn't know where to find, and it was sort of like, well, it was still workable. You know, could we actually share? Could we share the resources that we've got? But you saw communities mobilise around. Um, Food resilience, especially, and collaborating, and, and new, new collaborations emerging. So I'm thinking of where one of our Bachelor of Leadership for Change graduates, she was saying to me, "Well, actually, in our area, this was Hutt Valley, um, where she's Marae based, in, and they had fabulous networks out in Māori and other communities, and they were networking, which is a community that live in the hut that's doing awesome food resilience stuff, but in new ways." that's not your traditional food bank one. The food banks were struggling because they didn't elderly and were actually able to show up and do the mahi. So you had new people emerging, whole lots of people wanting to help, that were actually mobilised through the long-term deep connections that some people have communities. And people came there in different ways to just make sure that it was food or masks or whatever. Packs, you know, were actually getting it. I think the of respect and organisations like Marais across the country or community development initiatives, both really, of um, government agents, that actually there was new respect I think, for how much, while there was some awesome stuff happening at the government, it couldn't actually happen without this community-led initiative and how far ahead the government machine, community-led, iwi-led, whānau hapu iwi-led um, initiative was because people are just... I wonder if there is a, a trend or a, I'm just going to invent a, a, um, an observation here that does it take disruptions such as this to kickstart and or, and or put energy into things like community organisations, into service clubs, responding to those sorts of challenges? Uh, I think, you know, we've had experiences of things like the Christchurch COVID. I think there is a particular energy that comes in those disruptions. But it's also a bit like you saying that the inequality becomes, I think it's, there always is an incredibly, I mean, I haven't got the statistics at my fingertips like I you about the number of, if we use the national accounts, how many, it's 5 to 10% of GDP is actually voluntary. So I think um, there's an awful lot that happens through not-for-profit labour that we just take for granted and it's quiet behind and we live in our own little bubbles to the really see the work of those there's a Christ that the actual social cultural infrastructure we rely on just as much as the rates roads and rubbish you know funk and the things we call the physical infrastructure of it. so I think one of the strongest messages from the work that inspiring communities did um, last year of you know interviewing 80 people across the country who were working in different ways or this was we don't just need the shovel ready stuff we actually need to keep investing actually in the community and social infrastructure I mean that's an investment it's not a cost it's an investment in our future resilience the world's going to keep you know, this won't be the last pandemic and even and it's not just a crisis emergency civil defense type response it's actually part of you know what builds and what is actually our I guess a line on community-led development years ago, and the theme of the conference was community's the answer. You know, to, for a lot of our deep issues, there's a level in which, and we do know how to do it, and I think we remembered that we know how to do it, last, um, just as people remembered um, how to do it in other previous... And if you look at it from a purely economic development perspective, a shovel-ready project, if you're going to spend a couple of million dollars, you're going to get a couple of, usually blokes, with a couple of diggers. If you spend the equivalent on social services, you're going to be employing 20 or 30 people. Yeah, and I'm not sure that social services is what I'm, it's not what I'm talking about, because I guess community-led development is, isn't about thinking that services and professionals are going to fix everything for So it's not so much a doing... And I'm not knocking what social services do, don't get me wrong, there's an absolute place for But the mind shift for, for community development is actually about the doing with, not just that it's more doing with than doing for, while, while there is this time and place for, for doing for. It's more about building a local, locally-led vision 
um, like the community the community garden that I'm getting on you know those are just one example of the kind of thing where he's building its own food resilience from its own resource um, yeah so it is I think we're showing the ability whether it was you know iwi getting organized with points or people getting more involved in, in organizing food distribution networks and you know the pataka kai that is beside our community garden is a classic example of getting away from a service delivery model that we're running a service of a food bank to actually we're putting up a um a pataka kai do you know what I, what it is it's, it's like a it's it's a food cupboard it was it's traditionally the mm-hmm. pataka was the food storage and so outside the community garden this is where anybody that's got surplus vegetables or fruit you know puts the kai mm-hmm. and people can come and, and I share my surplus from my garden someone else who needs food comes and gets it and that's now quite organized in lots of parts of the country our local one you know the the family over the road have got some freezers they can store any of the school lunches that the kids have got a whole network of people who need that food come and get it and the local um, supermarkets sharing surplus bread so the, those are that's different than a service delivery mm-hmm. model it's different than a professional coming along and us looking to the other to fix things it's for discovering the power of us being actors ourselves and that every one of us can actually lead in some way in our space so that is bigger in people is a bigger ripple effect than just people saying I can now put food on the table it's actually I have moved from a situation of feeling dependent on other for help to realize that yeah we can all both give and receive and be helpers and givers and that's got much more dignity Anna, Anna. yeah so you're talking about inspiring communities you better quickly tell us what inspiring communities is but then the real question is the what did that report find okay so inspiring communities has been going for probably 12 or 13 years and they were wanting to re-energize this as an approach that people at every level and it's sort of a convergence of, you know, you think in the disability movement, the nothing about us. You think in terms of all that's happened with Māori-led development, where we people are wanting more tino rangatira. So Inspiring Community's role has really been help people, um, to help fuel um, the fire that was already starting to burn and to, for a resurgence of communities wanting to have more agency over their own vision and see their skills and contribution strengths that they can to solve big problems so we work at a number of levels often harvesting working with communities to help them reflect and learn from what they're doing and from that building some of our was where we identified from the ground up five key principles that drive and they have things like grow from shared local visions build from their strengths work collaboratively across any sector grow collaborative local leadership and learn by doing so we're supporting a lot of people in learning spaces like I run peer mentoring group we've got a micro credential to actually reflect on a study of we run webinars so we do that capability building link people up to learn from each other but we also work with local and central government funders and others helping them understand the mind shift for them from a top down government will fix things sort of mentality mm-hmm. to what what does it mean for as a government official to do things so like we've worked alongside predator free new zealand who've got a wonderfully you've got a really developed strategic vision of what is government they're trying to do with but helping them see how they can actually have a strategy that's actively supporting the people on Stewart island you know who have actually got the know-how and a lot of wisdom to not assume that the wisdom lies in wellington to roll out the same thing across the country but to actually work differently you know with a broad strategy that's consistent across the tree, but to enable that to play out in locally-led ways. So for governments and funders to be enablers and supporters of that, and to trust communities and support communities, to know that they're the context expert in these spaces. Um, so the report that we did, having pivoted in terms of how to keep doing all that learning stuff, which was pretty major when we had three top Canadians coming, you know, the week of the, <laughs> that COVID happened, once we quickly got over ourselves and thought, okay, we've just we're used to doing differently all the time and learning by doing. We put the learning spaces into webinars and and and, and then we thought, well, actually, there's a lot of a new, possibilities of a new normal. So we did 80 interviews at different, mostly in communities, but um, iwi and Habu Fanau led work as well in in central government, local government spaces, and we looked for the patterns of what the key messages were and. There are six shifts that um, 
were identified in the report and then we've run more webinars actually pushing that report, more work with government because we're interested in systems change. While we're supporting community-led, we're also on about systems change. So we're using that report to encourage things like decentralising to support locally-led work and government needs yeah has shown through COVID that they can learn to be more the enablers who respect local community expertise and find ways to enable and support that to flourish and to remove the barriers that government puts up um the another key theme was well we learned to collaborate really quickly and really well with different many <laughs> sectors and we've done that before in different situations but keep that as part of the new law normal when we bring together business and government and iwi led and you know all those other sectors like the disability sector as well you know so i can't name them all but collaboratively work a difference and mm-hmm. work to each other's tr- um the trust that funders had to free up money um was huge um, that they just couldn't put in up all those contractual sort of barriers that take the life, suck the lifeblood <laughs> off and out of initiative. And, you know, they had all the good reasons why government has to do that contractually, but people, government discovered that actually trust-based funding could actually work remarkably well. So it was sort of like, can we please keep doing that? Um, yeah, so, and I think the other thing is what I mentioned before, that keep investing. The communities that did the best... Uh, were the ones that actually had already invested in those relationships. The ones that struggled the most were the ones that for whom it was the first time they'd actually started. So, yeah, real need to capitalise on our on investment. And the kind of... it's It seems a bit intangible, but sometimes you need to pay a catalyst, you know, who's actually the person that oils the wheels and who's the weaver bird. So that's just the term that I use for myself sometimes. <laughs> so you, who knows a lot of people in a, in a lot of different places and, and builds the networks and finds some of the tangible it's that you get together and do together that builds, that turns that sort of vision and action um, with people, finds the low-hanging fruit that enough people are excited about. Um and I guess the other thing about COVID was it was such a classic example of just do it and learn by doing. So there wasn't necessarily as much time and energy that people put into sort of reflecting. But some people in the COVID space had a lot more time to pause and reflect. And that's always been one. It's not just the doing. We can get too overly busy with the doing and not take the time to reflect. And those are the sort of spaces I get very strong on, providing spaces for to learn and share and connect, reflect on um so that's not all of the, the shifts, but that's a flavour of the kind of shifts that we are active. It's created a, a, a research-based platform which just keep conversations and workshops and webinars and with government. It's flexorous on it. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou kotahoho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars and your beloved universes. And I really hope, wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, a triumph of nature's art, perfect, unique and here making things better. Thank you. So as we all know, we've been through a very intense time together over the last year. And these five minutes with you have helped me immeasurably over that time. Thank you to Sam and the whole Blowing Bubbles team. And thank you all for tuning in and supporting the show. For everybody who's viewed so far, do plan to interview the whole planet. So I'm looking forward to that. And for me, I feel that for all of us, this time has been very tough, very hard. Sure, for you as well, there have been many ups and downs. There have been some great positive realizations and revelations, but also a sense of the wear and tear of this time, the, the tiredness, the COVID fatigue that many people are speaking about and experiencing at the moment. Of course, here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, we are the luckiest in the whole world and we are able to frolic about in unparalleled freedom and now have opened the trans-Tasman bubble. So we have been so fortunate and I think we all feel that. And our ability to follow the guidance of the government and work together as a dream team of five million is a real testament to what is possible, what can be achieved by us as a species when we are able to work together in this way. 
And I know for all of us that we continue to follow guidelines and do our best to keep ourselves and others safe, things change. So for me, I think it's so important for us all to make sure we're taking the time to tune in with ourselves and how we're feeling. If we are feeling stressed, doing our best to acknowledge this and the impact of this stress and do our best to find ways to combat the and ways to ameliorate, find ways to shift and change the environment around us and with, so that the stress able to dissipate. And in this way, stress can be our friend. Stress can be obviously an alert system for us to say something the way that I am something in my environment needs to change and I think with this it's important to acknowledge that despite our differences everyone is doing their best and if we can forgive ourselves and those are not necessarily being fully conscious and aware always of our own behaviors and of others motivations others and so important not to take these things person to appreciate that everybody is doing them what we expect as best practice for me i found it very helpful recently to be able to tune in to how i'm feeling and to make subtle shifts in my thing and how i'm behaving how i'm doing all these things until i reach a point of peace and i feel at peace when i'm at that point and the same can be said for changing shifting you know, making that we feel in our own energy or in our own completely in our own path our own zone sense of self in this way we can make sure that we're not taking on other people's business of their lives other people's ability really just what it's best for us and again with this sense of peace. so i really hope for you you're able to tune in and do what's best for you and i'll look forward to talking to you again soon thanks so much Kakiti. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Margie Jean Malcolm, who was talking there about possibilities of a, a new normal and how communities have responded to that. Are you seeing it as a, a new normal? or Is it a return to an old normal? How? What are you describing it as? Well, one of my favourite phrases is and, and. <laughs> so, yes, I mean, where power lies, where resources lie, will inevitably want to pull things back to the status quo. So I think there are there are forces in both directions. So yes, there are many things that, you know, people are longing to get back to the, the old normal. And so there is a force in that direction. But I think there's quite an unstoppable momentum in the, in the, in the normal direction. So I feel very hopeful that some of the things, I'm very, I mean, I'm old enough to be quite excited to be able to look back over a number of decades of change and things like, the, the momentum around people wanting to, and the use of te reo, and I'm being in Taranaki now, I'm so excited about the Māori war. You know, that's a huge shift that we've actually just, um, after years and years. And so in terms of my my hope for a treaty-based, if you can see, it's been long, long, hard work over years for many, many, many people, but some encouraging. I think in the food resilience, you know, people, COVID was a, a really big, wake up all that we need a level of food resiliency so it's not just community gardens it's people that you know the the movement of um food getting beyond food waste you know all the interest in people gardening i, I struggled to get some fruit trees to plant them because everybody was buying <laughs> fruit trees and things and realize you know and there's composting workshops you know so i think there's a there is that people have at a personal level as well as at a and structural level, starting to think some things. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of there's a lot to be hoped. Um, and I think the personal experience of of people finding that they can make we can do get through this change. I think climate change is just huge. It's another driver beyond the pandemic that keeps pushing us that we can't. We know the old isn't sustainable. What, um, what can we learn from the pandemic response for? those longer term challenges we face, things like climate change and social injustice. Are there lessons in that for us? Well, I think one of, I guess, I suppose I come back to the sense of us realising how interconnected we are and how we just can't live in our own little bubble, even though we've had a very you know, isolated little bubble. I think the pandemic is just how interconnected we are globally um, and, and locally. And at the end of the day, that the solutions have to... So... No one person has got the, and it's very and and, and our need to actually listen to those. So, even some of the stuff that's on the radio about 
thinking about how to communicate language around um, not um, vaccine. What is it? Is, what's the language about vaccine resistant rather than vaccine deniers or, or whatever? Anti anti vax. Yeah, just thinking about our language and how we engage across difference. I think that's a, a more live conversation mm-hmm. now as well. Because if we're going to work on things like climate change, you know, I've got to get connected with people think differently. And while it's not comfortable, and it's sort of like, wow, I don't often meet people who think this was a pandemic rather than a pandemic but actually have to be able to have conversations with people even if they're uncomfortable with people who think differently if we're actually going to get to make progress so I think at that sort of level as well as the the sense of people realizing that we can change that change isn't quite so scary like the like the lunar cartoon that I guess I was <laughs> um, cheering off my um off my off my wall you know this has been an experience of, of change. There's so many people who've experienced that the world is all um, like lunatic duck, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, we're sort of... Uh, this actually the, what we've experienced in our privileged uh, little New Zealand world um, is, is so different from what people in so many parts of the world have experienced. I mean, if you think about the comparison that people make with this isn't any worse than the flu. Well, I don't agree with that. But actually, if you compare with malaria, you know, that people, even our Pacific neighbours, for a long time, it's given us a tiny little glimpse of the complexity of someone. And I hope has built more empathy. The fact that we are, we do live in a global, but yes, it takes a committee to raise a child or raise anyone. But we've actually got to think about our neighbours in a village in a different because if India doesn't, and Brazil, and every other part of the world doesn't actually get COVID, then none of us, because there's not a future for any of us, you know. So I think that's a deeply spiritual thing. So I have two further observations about communities. One of them is that it's the answer to two long-running questions, and then there's a question. So the, I think communities are a response to the how do we operationalise that 70s saying of thinking global act local yeah and is community are communities at that sweet spot of agency and system change that we we too often blame the individual for you can't be protesting this because you're still wearing a plastic coat Mm. and that's ignoring the fact that that's the environment that they that they live in, and I think mm. communities is at the at the core of the answer to that. But the real question, though, is I think what you're talking about with the engaging with people who think differently. How many people does it take to make a community? How many people from a physical community do we need to be part of the community of change, or whatever it is that the community is doing, for it to have legs? Like my Judy Small song of one voice in the, one drop in the ocean, but each drop will swell the tide. So be your one voice in the crowd. Yeah, be what your one drop in it. I don't. I, I I'm not going to quantify that, Sam. <laughs> but I think it happens in. Um, yeah, I like your analogy of community being at that level and in between feeling like oh I'm just an individual and I can't do that much. Um, but as soon as I connect one or two others, then. Even in that space, I can have a mindset shift that, oh, that person down the road who looks different from me isn't so scary after all. I've just come to community guard barbecue that that strange new resident in our street, Maggie Jean, helped organise, <laughs> you know. And so that in itself, a, a, a mental shift in, in your head is actually part of it because it might rouse your curiosity to be... to be. Uh, um, yeah, I, I think what I see over my lifetime is sort of the ebb and flow of different movements. Like I was a community worker back in the 70s and we had quite a surge of development. That was when actual jobs with that kind of name on them started and training in that sphere. And then I think there was a period with the Rogernomics and the you know neoliberalism of the 90s where some of that was fading and part of the explicit agenda of going to try and re-energise us. So I don't think it's a straight line of saying, you know, we build momentum and it's like the snowball going down the hill and we're, and we're off. I think it's more an ebbing and flowing that the, you know, the tumbleweed blows in the wind down the beach and does gather momentum sometimes. Um, and there are other times when the storm comes through and we get set back. So it's it's complex. It's got its... And it takes different who just keep... It's like the forest, the, you know, the, um, you know, the um, 
the panicky cycle. You know, you've got the, the tall forest that's looking really mature and strong and feel like you've got a really strong movement for change, say, and something something happens to the forest and the fire come through and the fire gets... You feel like everything's being destroyed, but actually in the next phase is in the undergrowth. The experience of having been involved before for somebody in community, they realise that yes, they do have some agency, they will try again, but it's something new that the community's ready for, so we have to be not too attached to the thing that we've set up. Whether That's all part of a bigger hole that, that keeps regenerating at times, and it might be something a bit different than you know we used to run you know we used to run community dinners in the, the community center back in the 70s you know and it was a community cafe that was the bumping place rather than the community garden the way we come together as community the issues that we fight might be different over different but that energy of believing that I've been, we don't that we carry from one experience and to me that's a different word than being a vol- um, it's a whole new conceptualisation, not a new, but it's a different conceptualisation, volunteer helping someone. I'm an active citizen who lives a more satisfying life because I'm engaged within my street and, and together there are times issues like like the Māori ward is a great example of a systems change that has actually happened because we've joined the dots of this and found our out and a system on something that's... questions to end the show with and almost negative time so we shall have to be quick what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years oh I guess one of the things I'm proudest of of my time in Dunedin is that I was really involved with Abbeyfield and there was a group of older people who had a, had a vision of communal for older people to live well we know that there's not a lot of options as you age if you're not rich enough to go to retirement village or don't even even if you are don't necessarily want that form of living so 
to have worked for, for over 10 years in Dunedin to see Abbey thriving as affordable social room for senior, where my parents lived. And so I was walking a journey with, as well as with others, helping a community led of by older people for older people, creating a little model of something that we could use a lot for older people. It takes a community to raise a child, but it actually takes a to live well as we age as well. Yeah, that's something I'm involved with. We are writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in the team. What is your superpower? I don't actually think of having a superpower, <laughs> but maybe um, maybe my superpower is, is my faith that all will be well and the believing of... of that of God and everyone so I guess it's that belief that um, you know we can find but the word manakitanga sums up a lot of it and the kaitiakita as well but the manakitanga is about seeing the and elevating their mana and their potential the fullness of who they are and the kaitiakitanga I guess is the other side of it that um, I really enjoy um, help I was brought up to move resources to where they were actually in so that sense of being able to mobilize the human um, resource the financial or practical you know finding the treasure that's actually out there that can be that can be mobilized and brought together to make the changes that want to make so I guess I get I call myself a weaver bird so maybe the weaver bird's the power (laughs) I don't ever think of having superpower Sam so it's a hard question to answer but they're not superpower of course they're real things yeah but if we can describe them then we can encourage people to develop those things yeah so I don't think of them as superpowers that only I've got they're actually things that serve me well that other people can embrace and be as well do you consider yourself to be an activist yeah, I consider myself to be a leader from, and that's my, I re- lead in all sorts of different ways. We can never just have one. So I'm definitely an activist, but I'm not a not an activist out the as often. Somebody who might behind the scenes trying to elevate the manner of others to have co- in a collaborative, distributed sort of, but yes, I've been an activist. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Oh, my values are deep committees, social justice, hoping to leave the world a bit better place than I found it. I nearly died as a child when I was seven, and that was measles and cephalitis, so believe very strictions. <laughs> and they said I was lucky to come out of it without any brain damage my sight. Um, so I guess I've always had the sense was met, somehow I land on my feet, so I'd better do something um, useful with my, which has been both a wonderful motivator and and, and a rod on <laughs> my back. So as I try to figure out how to sort of retire and slow down, yeah, there in the challenge. I will always want to be doing something more. And uh, I, who am I if I'm not an active citizen? I'll always be an active. And that will be always what gets me a warning, but consciousness in my life or trying to as a slow learner. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? The simplest advice I would have is um, don't be frightened by the leader word. Think about active stead. And I think there's there's a leader and there's an active citizen in everyone. And everybody will find what's meaningful for their own mojo of what lights your fire. Making everybody has the capacity world a better place one day at a time. Thank you for that. Thank you very much for joining me. Eta, 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 eta,
safe spaces around the world brought to you by the sustainable lens team which is brought to you by otago polytechnic we are broadcast on otago access radio every monday wednesday and friday afternoons at three and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz you can find us on facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts we had a contribution today from tahu mckenzie this is troy kingy Kamanu. i'm samuel mann at otago polytechnic and i have been joined today by Maggie Jean Malcolm. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.